Welcome again to Four Thoughts of Our Founders. This is the Health Podcast, the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. I am Herman Felton, one of uh, the founders of the Leadership Foundation. Um, flying uh, as my wingman today is none other than Greg Dees, who's always with us. Um, <clears throat> without him, there will be no health. Um, and in route, uh, is Melva Williams, uh, Tony Pinkard, and uh, the one and only George T. French. This is a pretty cool weekend. Uh, it's inauguration weekend here at Wiley College. Uh, my investiture as the 17th president, but um, there are a ton of talented uh, administrators coming into the great metropolis of Marshall, Texas. And we thought we'd take advantage of it. And today we have a blazer, a trailblazer with us today. None other than uh, my sister president, Rosalind Clark Artist, uh, former president of Florida Memorial University, where she blazed trails and became the first female to lead the institution. And if that wasn't enough, she found another institution to be the first female president there as well at Benedict. Please welcome my sister, Rosalind Clark Artis. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am very well, thank you. You enjoy your uh, your um, your trip into the great metropolis? Uh, it was adventurous. Oh, it's supposed um, to be. And I had a lot of time to think. Oh, good, good. Uh, Rosalind was also the uh, keynote speaker today at the uh, First Lady's uh, Scholarship Luncheon where we raised $75,000. Uh, in uh, resources to start our honors program here. Um, and one of the components for the honors program is uh, the study abroad program. But today, 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 it's all about Benedict College. Well, thank you. It's all about Benedict College. And uh, we want to start giving you an opportunity to just let the folks know uh, who you are, just uh, who you are, my sister. Uh, well, you did a pretty good introduction there, just generally. Uh, clearly, uh, having been the president of Florida Memorial University, and now I'm at the helm of the great Benedict College, the HBCU that put the BC in HBCU. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very excited to uh, be in that role right now. Uh, Benedict College is a small, private, Baptist-affiliated, historically black college, very much like Florida Memorial, so I tend to be in a particular space. Good space. Uh, and our Baptist <laughs> institutions and certainly our HBCUs are a passion for me. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there is nothing finer uh, than leading an HBCU in the Carolinas. Here, here. Um, and to see our students grow and develop and change, it is an absolute passion of mine, so I'm thrilled to be at the helm of Benedict College. It's pretty dope. You should also know that this is probably one of the uh, sharpest sisters that you'll get an opportunity to meet um, as an administrator. Uh, she's certainly uh, proven her skills, uh, but she had a life before she came into the higher education space. And before we get into the amazing things that you've done at Benedict, I want to talk about your, your past. Um, we know that um, you're from... Uh, the so big city of I am from the great thriving metropolis second only to Marshall Texas Beckley West Virginia Beckley Beckley West Virginia I was actually born in Springfield Massachusetts but my family relocated to West Virginia um, my father 
uh, was a coal miner. I'm quite literally the daughter of a coal miner, me wow. and Loretta Lynn. Uh, my father moved my family from Massachusetts to West Virginia because the coal camps of Southern West Virginia were one of the few places that a black man could earn union scale wages. Mm. So blacks and whites were paid consistently. While blacks, of course, of course, did heavier, harder work, uh, they were they were considered good union jobs. Mm. And so my family settled in Southern West Virginia, and I was raised there, uh, among the other two percent of African-Americans who live in Southern West Virginia. I, I learned something today about, um, I, I sort of got an idea of where, or actually I learned where the resolve comes from today. Would you tell them about the second, second grade uh, story that you shared with us today? Sure, so growing up in Southern West Virginia, as I indicated, uh, it is currently a 3% minority state. It hovered just a little over 2% as I was growing up there, and so you might imagine that I was the only little black girl in most of the circles I ran in, elementary school and otherwise. When I was in the second grade, uh, my elementary school teacher had us line up and introduce ourselves, state our names and what we wanted to be when we grew up. I stepped up and said, I'm going to be a lawyer, and everybody laughed. Uh, my classmates all laughed at me and said, you know, that's stupid, you can't be a lawyer, uh, largely as a result of my being black and a female. Um, I listened as my classmates said, you know, I'm going to be the president, I'm going to be a pro football player, as though those things were somewhat more realistic than the goal from, mm. uh, of me becoming a lawyer. And I, I sat down and I thought a lot about that. I angrily sort of, you know, processed that and thought, I'm going to show you. I am going to show you. And so through the support of great teachers in the public school system and my HBCU, West Virginia State University, where I received a full scholarship, um, despite the fact that my daddy had a good union job, he didn't have a college fund. Mm. So I received a full scholarship to West Virginia State, then college, now university, and as they say, the rest is history. I had a chance to matriculate on a campus that looks an awful lot like Wiley College, an yes. awful lot like Benedict College, with teachers and a president who look like me, mm. right? To see the first lady of that institution, a Delta woman, Powerful. Um, walk around that campus and just inspired me every single day. And so I'm pleased to say I am the product of an HBCU and I will commit the remainder of my career serving at HBCUs. And it's important to note that you did go on to become a I lawyer. I did, I um, did. And I, I do believe I, I read somewhere that you smashed the uh, Florida bar. Well, not the Florida bar, West but Virginia the bar. West Virginia bar. So Dang. I have the second highest bar exam score on record in the state of West Virginia. Boom. So I'm, I'm grateful to God and excited about that. I'm not sure who filled in those bubbles. I'm pretty sure it was the <laughs> Lord. Um, but we certainly the don't Christmas fail for Christmas tree approach works every now and Listen, then. Listen, you know? <laughs> God is good. He is so much better to us than we deserve most of the time. So had an opportunity to realize my dream to practice so, law. So you did that and you, you were a civil litigator. Yes. Um, worked at a couple yes. pretty nice firms. Um, I did. I worked in an insurance defense firm, Brandon Levikoff, for a while, um, a subsidiary of Standing Levikoff, Burdett, McDyer, and Yurkon, if that weren't a mouthful, out of Pittsburgh doing insurance defense litigation. Unfortunately, West Virginia and the coal industry provided no small amount of litigation, and, um, given the accidents that occur often in those spaces, so did a lot of appellate work, a lot of civil litigation work, and then at some point found a conscience and decided to go work for a plaintiff firm. I mm. uh, did that for the last three years of my legal career, some total of 10 years. Had a chance to lead the Mountain State Bar Association, which is the oldest minority bar association in the country, mm -hmm. um, and was serving as a chair of the Board of Law Examiners in West Virginia. At the time, I resigned my practice and walked away, decided wow. that education might be my calling. So, so you, you got a twitch. 
an itch. I did. I did. A twitch um, and an itch. A friend of mine asked me to teach a class, just mm-hmm. a simple, basic legal research and writing class, which I agreed to do. And I will tell you that it was the most fulfilling 16 weeks of my life. Mm. Uh, at the end of that class, a young lady left me a note. And the note said, you changed my life. Because in West Virginia, I was in my city, I was the only black female attorney in the city of Beckley, West Virginia. And wow. as a result of that, she did not see what she could become. Mm. She was studying to be a paralegal. Um, had never even contemplated going to law school. And can, I mean, at that day and age, can you imagine she just didn't see that as possible? Let's, just, so. let's pause for one second and talk about the power of imagery. Yes. What, what, what does that mean? Um, so for me, as you think about the practice of law, and I know obviously you, you share that with me, um, money is the medium within which we exchange, mm-hmm. right? So if someone does something to you, we pay money. And no one's ever satisfied with the amount of money they have. Right. I mean, no client of mine has ever said, um, you have done a great job. That's all the money I could have hoped for, <laughs> right? In reality, they say, if that's the best deal you could get me, or if I might have to pay that much, right. or, oh, I guess that'll be okay. Right. Um, and so it's really thankless in many regards. Mm-hmm. When you have someone say, you changed my life, I mean, that's powerful. That is unbelievably powerful and is worth so much more than money. Um, That young lady had never seen anyone who looked like her be a lawyer. And so I think the power of being a role model, Mm -hmm. the power of seeing someone who looks like you. I mean, Mm -hmm. so for me, it was the president of my HBCU, right? She looked like me. And that meant something to me. Uh, it guided my decisions as I went forward. And so many mentors, she was an attorney, she was a judge. And so I remember thinking, I'm going to be her. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be Alice Carter someday. Yeah. And those role models mean something. My president of my HBCU um, attended Vanderbilt. So when I got ready to go back for my doctorate, I called my president and said, where should I go? And he said, Peabody School, of course. And mm-hmm. I said, yes, sir, I'm going where my president went. Absolutely. So role models matter we have an obligation to the generation behind us to stand up. So you have the law degree, you practice, you get this, you, you, you fulfill a, a, a favor for a friend, you're right. bit by the bug, and then you're forever changed by a note. A note, which I still have. Which you still have. And that led you to explore higher ed right. much more? Right. So I began teaching more and ultimately took a part-time position as director of the legal studies program. So coached the moot court team and really engaged young people who were interested in law school. Really? Helping with the LSAT process, helping them get their applications in order to be able to attend law school. Uh, That program grew by 400%. We became the first four-year program, baccalaureate degree program in legal studies. You know, so many people will choose criminal justice Mm -hmm. as though that is the pre-law major. Right. And the reality is there's so many areas of practice. Criminal justice is just one of them. them. And so, so many students will fall prey to the fallacy that criminal justice is pre-law. Really, the goal is to teach those kids to write, speak, think, articulate effectively. Those are the skill sets required to go to law school. Writing is critically important. And so really built a curriculum around preparing kids to law school. So they, of course, work in property, in civil procedure, in evidence, in criminal, in civil. So there was a broad swath of the same kinds of courses they would receive in their Mm -hmm. first year of law school. So saw amazing growth there. And the president of the university called and said, what would it take for you to come work for me full time? And of course, at the time, my response was, I don't know how much you got. 
Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But, Let's you know, start there. Yeah. We were actually able to negotiate an arrangement. And uh, so I called my husband and said, honey, I'm, I'm going to leave the firm. And, you know, after an awkward pause, I explained that I was going to go into higher education and that um, my president had committed not only to um, give me a broad role that will ne- would enable me to someday aspire to a leadership role, mm-hmm. but would subsidize my doctoral work. Hmm. And so I was sold. I was done. I was out. Uh, lawyers and judges were calling saying, are you kidding me? I can't believe you're leaving. Yeah. Um, but I've never looked back. I've never regretted my decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law degree is immensely valuable. I certainly would not discourage any young person out there from going to law school. Um, it is perhaps most valuable to me as the president of an HBCU, right? The ability to read ma- um, maximum amounts of information and to yeah. distill them down into the very essence, right, a syllabus point, mm-hmm. and make decisions based on that information is critically important. Almost so daily I find myself utilizing yeah. that JD, yeah. Almo- almost daily. It's um, pretty valuable. It, it really changes the way you see things, think about things, the way you interact with people. Um, it, it really does, yeah. and, and for me, it, it's been, um, first of all, it was, it, 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 it allowed me uh, the entree into higher education, um, and, and, and as an anomaly, you know, people, my president, didn't know what to do with me, but knew that I could pretty you were much useful. do just you about, were somehow yeah, yeah. useful. I was right? useful, but he didn't know exactly what to do with me, but, so, so um, Peabody, you're done with Peabody. Um, yeah, um, during that period of time, my president kept his word, right? He agreed to assist and support during the doctorate and interestingly gave me a different role in the university, um, decided to place me in the fundraising space. Uh, you're a lawyer, you can do trust agreements, you can do plan giving agreements, annuities, et cetera, and this will allow you to slow down a little bit while you focus on the doctorate. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure that proved that to be the happen. case. The reality right. is fundraising occurs evenings, weekends, middle of the night, whenever Seconds. someone calls, yeah. right, you Absolutely. are responsive. And so although it was certainly not an easy path while I was pursuing the doctorate, it was an invaluable one. Mm-hmm. The skill set that I acquired uh, in development, helping me to understand um, both government relations, donor relations, alumni relations, all have proven exceedingly valuable to me as a president. You know what's funny? When I, I left um, Murray State, um, that was my first job out of law school into higher education. And I worked in the president's office. I worked um, in um, the EEO office. I did claims for them. I did um, uh, work in the development office. Uh, and I thought to myself, wow, this is this is what I need. King Alexander, who's now the president of Louisiana State University, gave me my first opportunity. And he knew I wanted to be a president. Mm-hmm. Um, but he knew I wanted to be a president at Black College. And so he said, the best gift that I can give you is to be a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. So I, I really had a, a good bit of uh, success uh, as a fundraiser, fundraiser, the first African-American at Murray State, and to this day the only to have ever been a fundraiser. Nobody at, can match you. No, not at all. I'm a, I'm a boss. I'm a <laughs> boss. Um, but when I left Murray State with those best practices, mm-hmm understanding what fundraising looks like. Uh, Dr. Jenkins gave me an opportunity to go to Livingstone. Right. And I'll never forget this. He, he recruited me there as his executive assistant. Mm-hmm. The vice president 
of institutional advancement decides to leave. Well, for six months, I'm looking at advancement and mm -hmm. thinking about advancement over at a PWI. I'm like, what y'all are doing over here is not advancement. I, right. I'm not necessarily interested in that. And he made a mistake and said, the first time, I want you to think about going over there. And I said, uh -huh. no, thank you. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Second time he said, uh, do you, would you like to go over there? No, th no, sir. And the third time he, he said, uh, tomorrow, um, it was at the end of the day, tomorrow you'll be going over to institutional mm -hmm. advancement. You were voluntold. Voluntold. Best thing that ever happened to me. I went kicking and screaming, but it gave me a skill set that if you are going to be a CEO at a public, private, white, black, college probably one of the single greatest attributes that you can come into the door with and that is a proven track record in fundraising absolutely absolutely yeah i, I could not agree more i think uh, as i um, attempt to mentor uh, aspiring presidents i tell them take every opportunity to get engaged in fundraising fund development for your institution mm -hmm. so if you are on the academic side start writing grants absolutely right attend events engage donors in supporting the work that you do everybody is an advancement officer in a high functioning college mm -hmm. or university right? even you know, partner with the advancement uh, absolutely folks. absolutely yeah. it is an invaluable skill set and one that you will never regret having acquired so in that vein, a fundraiser is a person who is always on, quote unquote. Always. Are you naturally that way? Because I am not. I I am very comfortable being in a corner by myself. Um, yeah. But the reality of being in that space, which is something that we also have to tell those who we sponsor and mentor, mm -hmm. is that if you don't have you know, emotional intelligence, those soft right. skills, uh, fundraising right. is, is gonna be difficult for you. It is, um, but I think um, I am a people person. Mm -hmm. As they say, I enjoy people, the human experience. I love observing human behavior, and I think that's an important skill set. Watching how people navigate a room, uh, watching body language. Mm -hmm. When people are with you, right, when you're doing public speaking, you can tell who's with you. Absolutely. And you can tell who isn't Absolutely. by virtue of their body language and being able to pivot a little mm -hmm. bit to engage those people who are determined not to be with you, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we do as fundraisers. We are reading the body language of the individual we're talking to. We're trained not to be afraid of what they call a pregnant pause, right? right? What can they say, no? It's actually powerful. Sit there and wait, right? Keep the them on the hot speaks, seat, let them squirm. That's right. Um, when I say, I need a million dollars from you, <coughs> when they start clearing their throat, listen, you may not get the million, yeah. but you're gonna get something. Absolutely. You're gonna get something. And so people who negotiate against themselves, who are socially awkward and jump in and say, well, if that's too much, you know, 10,000 will do, you have just left money Great. on the table. You Great. have just left money on the table. 10,000 will do. I was thinking maybe a quarter of a million, but since you said 10,000 will do, right. we'll right. make that happen. Right. Um, so fundraising, but I know you didn't stop there. Um, great set of experiences, uh, great skill set, as you just pointed out, and then um, had the itch to get back in the classroom, mm -hmm. right? So that's what drew me initially to higher education mm -hmm. is the feedback from students, the ability to touch their lives directly and make an impact with them pulled me back in. So I went to my president who had been committed to my development, according to him, right? Mm -hmm. and I'm calling him on it. Right. Um, and I said, listen, I got to get back on the academic side of the house. I need to get back to work. So you just said something that I think is really important. Mm -hmm. um, you had a sponsor, a mentor. I did. 
and you held your sponsor and mentor accountable. Yep. Right? If you say it, I'm getting it. Right? You committed you it to it. me. You said it. You said it. You committed it to me. You, you said it. I didn't. You right. offered it. I took I it. I accepted. <laughs> right. There was offer, acceptance, and now the consideration we is we have a contract. We have a contract. Right? Right. We have um, a contract. So, uh, so I said, listen, uh, you know that I'm interested in, in uh, aspiring. Uh, to lead an institution of my own at some point. I will serve you, right? I am committed to be of value to you as long Which as you Which is really important me. for people to hear. Loyalty is important Absolutely. to the person. Dance with the one that brung you. Brought you. That's right. right. Brung you. I, I am I brung you. Yeah. I am uh, certainly loyal to my president, um, but he made a commitment, and so um, I asked him to make good on it. I need a well-rounded uh, breadth of experience in higher education if I'm to be marketable mm-hmm. uh, and leading an institution. So went back to... Um, the academic side of the house. Uh, he was gracious enough. Um, he made me senior academic officer for um, distance education. Mm. So at that time at a PWI, we were doing online learning. Now I understand I'm dating myself, but that was in the 90s. And so we think about our campuses sometimes being technologically behind. Listen, we owned cell towers. We were doing distributed education before wow. distance learning was a thing. We had a branch campus system. And so I was traveling betwixt and between our campuses in North Carolina and Pennsylvania and Florida and DC. Um, managing those operations and Mm. so again a great breadth of experience Mm -hmm. for me Uh, understanding different learning styles different populations whether they be adult learning uh, adult learners or minority students um, and really thinking about how you stand up a college or university so a great opportunity so your toolbox is replete with tools I was lucky you you were lucky very fortunate to get some great experiences and so I would suggest to those who are aspiring you know, push the people around you to mm-hmm. let you in the room. That, that's curating that, that circle, right? right? right. Like, like how, do you, how do you curate a circle, Roz? So I think first and foremost, you can't be shy about asking. Mm-hmm. Um, those of us who do this work um, appreciate it. Uh, we're inspired by it. We enjoy seeing, none of us wants to see our life work go to waste, right? So when I am done at Benedict College, it is my prayer that the person who succeeds me be great. Mm-hmm. be greater than I ever thought about being because the truth is as a female uh, if they're not they're gonna blame me anyway period right so I need them to win <laughs> I need the next person and the next person and it's the next all person. our fault one because I love HBCUs and the students and two because they're gonna blame me anyway. absolutely so it is uh, I have a vested interest mm-hmm. in ensuring that the people behind me are well prepared to take these positions and that our, our HBCUs are successful and strong so you've got this toolbox as I mentioned and you're good the time comes, that liminal moment comes. When did you recognize that it was time for you to be pushed out? Were you pushed out of the nest or did you did you peek out and say, oh yeah, it's time to fly? So interestingly, uh, my president encouraged me to apply for presidencies. Um, and it's just a strange twist of fate because God is still in control of all of this. Mm. Um, my president encouraged me to apply and would continually send me ads and advertisements for presidential positions. Um, One was Florida Memorial. Um, That was in um, 2011. So let's kind of back up a little bit. That was in 2011. And so I said, okay, I'm going to learn a little bit about this institution. I'm going to apply. Um, I applied for the job. I got to the finals. And then my president uh, had received a letter from one of our accrediting bodies, a nursing accrediting body, um, indicating that we had problems in a program and that they were going to come in for a visit same week that I was scheduled to do my final interview. And so my president, who had been so unbelievably supportive of me, said, 
player. You ain't leaving now, are you? Not, not, right. not at all. And so I said <laughs> to uh, the board chair at the time I called and said, listen, um, if I were to accept this position, if I were to be given this position, uh, could I start in June instead of January? Mm -hmm. um, I need to see this through. We have this accreditation process pending. I need to stay. And he said, no. We have had an interim president for a year and a half. We desperately need um, a president. And so I withdrew from the Florida Memorial search mm. um, and another individual was named and I stayed uh, mm -hmm. at my institution. Uh, feeling some kind of way about it, yeah. but I stayed, right? Generally but, I'm loyal. <laughs> but but you, you carefully tie knots right. and you are equally careful untying them as well, right? Um, I think that's really important, and I, I want to make a point here. Um, leave people with a good impression of you. Mm -hmm. So when I expressed to the search committee that I was going to withdraw from the search, I offered to reimburse the institution for my travel, for my prior interview, wow. and I did that. I wrote a check to that institution, and they were a low-wealth HBCU, yeah. right? They could scarcely afford to waste money on candidates who were playing, mm -hmm. right? I was not playing, but as a result of the circumstances, I had to withdraw from the search in the final round. And so reimbursed that institution for my travel and expenses for the initial interview. Well, lo and behold, two years later, I got a call out of the blue from a board member at Florida Memorial that said, we've had a transition, our president is leaving, would you be interested in, re in applying to Florida Memorial again? So, you know, God works the way he works, right? You do the right thing for the right reasons for people and karma or faith or whatever you believe in comes back to you. And so I got that call and applied and of course went down for the interview and successfully secured the bag, as they say. All of them. Yes. All yes. of them. Yes. Um, just to touch on the, the tying the knots and untying them, I think it's important to to talk about how small this world is. And when you are looking or being sought after, how important it is for people who are moving, navigating, how important it is for them to be um, transparent and win, right? Because right. It's, it's a critical time. Some presidents might fire your ass as soon as you say I'm looking or I have an appointment or right. I have an interview right so right. it's it's a it's a, a game of frogger <laughs> right? don't jump on the log don't jump on the log <laughs> and and be careful about that 18 wheeler and here comes right. that VW bug right how do you how do you navigate that you know talking to young people about when it's time to leave and how honest you have to be because this, this, the circle is so small. It is incredibly small. Um, you know, as I've stated, my president was incredibly supportive until he wasn't, mm -hmm. right? Until it did not serve him to be. Yeah. And that's human, mm -hmm. right? That doesn't make him a bad person. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean he didn't do a tremendous amount to advance my career, yeah. but me first. Right. I mean, his institution yeah. was his priority at that moment. Whatever the accrediting agency it is, they were coming. When they're coming to yes. visit, right, you need your lead show horse, whatever Absolutely. that may be, Absolutely. in the stable Absolutely. right, Absolutely. on that time, at that time. And so we have retained um, a good relationship to this day. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, um, interestingly, the moment at which, and you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to answer it anyway, because I think it's important for people who are listening. Mm -hmm. When do you know you're ready? Yeah. Right. When is it time for you to be the president? Um, you've been a VP, you've been a mm -hmm. provost, you've been a fundraiser, you've been whatever. When is it time for you to jump out there? Right. 
Some people would suggest that you should apply sort of for practice. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily a fan of that practice. Neither am I. Don't toy with people's emotions. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Don't waste your time. If you are to prepare for a search, it's real. I mean, you have to understand that institution. You have to understand why you are the best fit for that institution. Absolutely. It's too much work to so play at it. do your homework before. Do your homework. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment at which I knew it was time for me to go, right, time for me to take the leap, is we're dealing with this accreditation issue. Uh, I am the provost by this time. I am saying to my president, I believe that we need to attack it in this way. I believe we need to do this, do that, X, Y, and Z. And my president said to me, "Um, that's fine, but I'm the goddamn president, Mm. and I say we do it this way. And when you're the goddamn president, we'll do it your way. Right? That's clear. Quote. Now, I don't normally use that particular yeah. uh, cuss word. I use lots of others, but I don't normally use that I like them all. There are, there are no bad well, curse so, words. I, I, and, well, you know. I think when you take the Lord's name in vain, it's pretty bad. But yeah, 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 that yeah. one I tend to not use in my personal vernacular. But he said that to me with such conviction. When you are the president, you do it your way. But as for me and my school, at this moment in time, we're going to do it my way. We lost accreditation in that program. But light goes off, too, right? We lost accreditation in that program. Mm. And I said to myself, I knew I was right. I knew what I was doing, and he did not trust me. It is time for me to be the president because I know how to do this. I could have stopped this. I could have saved this program had we done it the way I suggested that we do it. And that's not to suggest he's not a great president. He wasn't a great president. He didn't do good things. But at some point, you can lose your edge over time, and you you should surround yourself with talent that is current, and you should listen. We all have to keep growing and learning as presidents and listen sometimes to the people around us. We may think we're the smartest person in the room, but the reality is we're just a person at the end of the day. And so when he made that declaration to me was the day I decided, then it's It's time time for me to go go be a president. And um, the rest, as they say. But I think it's also important to to highlight the integrity that you displayed when you uh, did an honorable thing. Because... I'm certain at that time, Florida Memorial would have been yours. Um, and you withdrew because you knew, uh, was, it, was it out of uh, this feeling of um, deference or um, you know, did you feel as if you, you were indebted to him? Was that, was that the so reason a why? a couple things. First of all, yes, obligation to a president who had done so much for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I indicated, helped to subsidize my doctorate, mm. right? I mean, this is That's the president a who had gotten behind me and yeah. who had given me multiple experiences across the institution and really allowed me to grow in a way that really positioned me to be a president. So certainly obligation to him. And ultimately, my Achilles heel is obligation to the kids. Yeah. Right? I mean, we had kids in that program mm-hmm. who were depending on me to try to get this right. And so, you know, the crushing personal defeat um, made me say, okay, now I'm, I need to take this on my own. I yeah. need to be a president because that was pretty tough. Um, and I think, you know, again, doing the right thing, even when you don't win, uh, that was a tough one for me. I mean, losing that program could have been the end of my career. Hmm. If you think about that, I mean, that yeah. real, you can't be the provost Post. and lose accreditation in an academic program. Yeah, I mean, that's that, all, that stops on your desk. Um, yeah. So could have easily been a career ender. Um, but as I always say, God is good. Yes. Right? Um, I had an opportunity. And as I talked to the board about that, you might imagine that I had lots of public interviews and town halls with mm-hmm. faculty and mm-hmm. student affairs. I mean, and so people said, well, how do you explain how you, you know, and the appropriate answer isn't my president wouldn't listen to me, right? right? That, that's not right. the answer. 
the answer is you accept responsibility for that which you are responsible for. And keep the party moving. And keep it moving. Yeah. Tell the truth, mm -hmm. right? Look people in the eye, tell them what happened, and mm -hmm. understand that there's learning in every experience. Mm -hmm. Because I have been through an accreditation challenge and came out on the other end not with a winning flag, yeah. I know exactly what not, not to, to do. ever do again. again right? And so I think we have to understand that we don't win everything. Uh, we're not going, and, and certainly we want to, right? With every fiber of our being, we want to win all the time. Yeah. But sometimes you don't. Yeah. And as long as you learn from that experience, how you, you can lose. get back up. How you lose. You can get back up. So we know now that you've had these amazing things and the opportunity came around for you to, to lead at Florida Memorial again. You did some great things there. Um, and we'll just say for the purpose of this podcast that you did some great things there. Thank but you. But I'm more interested in learning about Benedict. Um, and because you're the president at Benedict, right. I don't think that um, we should talk about Florida Memorial University <laughs> unless you I'm want sure to. I'm sure Florida Memorial appreciates <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, but, but this is not their time now. So I understand. We'll, we'll they have a president. They, they have do. a wonderful they have a president. president. And I think he speaks for them. So um, you get the call. Right. Get the let's, call. let's let's let let let's go back to the first time uh, ever getting the call that you right. were a president. I just want to talk about the the, the sublime feeling. Right. Uh, at least you know I had. So what was it like? Just share with us what was it like when you got that. <laughs> so call? I'm going to admit something I've never said publicly before. Uh, when I received the call telling me that I was a fi I get, received a letter telling me that I was one of two finalists, mm. which I tacked up on my refrigerator at the house, you know, like you do with your children's report cards. Mm -hmm. I put it up on my refrigerator. <laughs> so as I was getting read, I mean, in those weeks leading up to that final interview, it's hanging on the refrigerator. Yes. So every time I am one of, I mean, I got a 50% shot at this. Like I am going to be, I was going to be a president. <laughs> I mean, if I play my cards right, I was going to be happen. a president, yes. right? Um, and I think, you know, the moment at which I got the call saying you, you know, congratulations, Madam President, um, there's just nothing. There's just nothing greater. Not congratulations, Dr. Rosalind Artis. Not congratulations, you've earned your JD. Well, I was getting ready to say not congratulations, you've just given birth because that actually does top that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had to do a little work to get there too. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, second to the birth of my children mm -hmm. and perhaps my marriage, mm -hmm. that would have to be an absolute pinnacle. Yeah. An absolute pinnacle. Um, one, I don't know that you ever come down from. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think... You know, sometimes there are moments when people will say, Madam President, it takes me a second to go. That's me. That's I, me. Both of us being in the, the divine nine and Greek yeah. um, space, I, I, I draw similarities and even equate it uh, as um, the greatest fraternity. Yeah. Um, being an HBCU president is, is. is really dope. And um, the privilege to serve for most of us is what really drives us, but um, I think about that as well. Um, so I, I just wanted listen, you to share. it ain't share. honorary. No, no. It ain't paper. No, <laughs> Listen, no, no. we had to go through something That's to get right, here. That's right, And, <laughs> and it's a continual uh, process. Hazing. You Hazing. can be in the wood. Uh, I meant, I'm sorry, in the cut, um, you know, on any given day. <laughs> the sands day. are still on fire. They are. Right, they're still and, burning. And it happens three times a year, actually. In a formal <laughs> setting by way of uh, a board meeting. That's exactly right. Um, so, uh, Benedict College. So, that call uh, was a little sweeter mm -hmm. um, for a number of reasons. Uh, clearly, I was uh, working under contract at Florida Memorial. 
uh, when I received uh, an inquiry about applying to Benedict, which I thrice denied, right? It's biblical. I thrice denied yes. the call, right? No, I'm not in the market. Leave no, I'm me not in alone. The market. No, I'm not in the market. But I had another mentor. Mm. I had another mentor, uh, Dorothy Yancey, uh, of course, another two-time president, president emeritus of both John C. Smith and Shaw, who said to me in um, only the way that she can, get your shit in, <laughs> right? I mean, like, you know, this is an opportunity. If you and, don't know Dr. Yancey. Yes, um, she meant that. Yes, she, she meant, meant that. that. Absolutely. And so um, I applied. Um, yeah. And the reality is that the similarities between the two institutions, as I indicated early on, are quite similar. Mm-hmm. Um, both private, both Baptist affiliated, um, both HBCUs. Uh, the significant difference is that Benedict is a little larger and it's a little closer to home. So again, I grew up in West Virginia. My husband is a North Carolinian. Mm-hmm. And so it really brought my children home uh, in Miami, which is fabulous and wonderful. We were 15 hours away mm. from aging parents and cousins and those kinds of things. Yeah. And these jobs are hard. They right? are. You depend on your village to help support your family and your spouse and your kids and those kinds of things. And so coming home to the Carolinas was a big deal for my family. Um, one of the uh, pieces of one of the decision points that was critical for me. But the other thing that was so monumental and the thing I could never give Benedict College enough credit for is I have a board of trustees that believes in longevity. Mm. I have a board of trustees uh, that committed to my predecessor 23 years that said to me, um, we want you here and we want you here for as long as the remainder of your career, if you will stay. That is a right? gift. Unbelievable. And the support they have given me has been unequivocal. Um, they've extended my contract in an inordinate period of years. Well, well, but but, but let's, let's talk about how long you were there before they extended your contract. Yeah, at the end of my first year, uh, they did an evaluation, uh, and we had a couple of great things happen to us, and part of that is a result of some of the team, and I'll talk about them in just a little bit. I, I have brought with me some some rock stars, and of course, Benedict had some rock stars mm-hmm. that have emerged, and so mm-hmm. we've gelled those two teams together into what I call a super team, um, and because of their work. So we broke every record in fundraising at Benedict during my first year. So is it a super team like... LeBron and D Wade and Bosch, or is it like MJ, Magic, and Bird? Like which which so one of those super teams? Really, LeBron, MJ, and okay. Bosch, okay. right? Because they have unique styles, mm-hmm. right, of play. Um, you need a power guy to cut through the middle like a freight train, right? You need a LeBron. You need an outsized shooter, right? Who can um, who can deliver for you? Uh, and we have those things, yeah. right? Our outside shooter, Leandra Hayes Burgess, is our fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Right? She's outside in the community bringing dollars to the table, uh, coordinated my uh, inauguration, and you know, was... she started in January. Mm-hmm. January 3rd was her first day. My inauguration was uh, April 4th. Um, she raised $405,000 in 90 days. Wow. In 90 days, flat. Um, amazing. 12 events in six days and netted um, a couple hundred thousand dollars into our Best of BC Scholarship Fund. So broke every record um, for fundraising and I give her so much credit for that. Um, I like to think I'm a cause worth raising money for in my administration, <laughs> but I'm telling you she's a rock star yeah. in that space. And I actually so, know her too. She, we, were, we were together at Livingstone College yeah, uh, for a short a period of time. So she space. is a beast. 
She is a no-nonsense yes. fundraiser, yes. and so uh, you need that. You yeah. need that in these environments, and so she did a great job for me. Um, I brought um, who I affectionately refer to as the assassin, um, my chief of staff with <laughs> me, um, <laughs> Dr. Sayon Smith. She um, has been, uh, she is a crisis leader. I don't know why you would need one of those at an HBCU. You do. But she's a crisis <laughs> leader. She uh, ran communications and point for um, BP and the Gulf oil spill. Oh. She uh, ran point for Ray Nagin post-Katrina. She worked for Kwame Kilpatrick. If he had listened to her, he wouldn't be in jail right oh, now. So um, <laughs> she's a rock she's, star. She is a rock star. She's a rock star in the crisis management space. Absolutely. And so I brought her with me as my chief of staff. Okay. Um, I think messaging matters, right? It a does. person who is on the inside. Um, she is probably 4'11". Unassuming, quiet, you wouldn't see her coming, but I assure you she is an assassin. The punch. Um, and really um, leads from the back, right? She's got my back. Mm -hmm. I lead from the front, she mm -hmm. leads from the back. And between us, um, I like to refer to us as a bit of a dynamic duo, um, really helped us with, um, you know, Benedict was broke. Yeah. Like, let me let me just put that out there, mm -hmm. right? Benedict was broke. Like we were, we were project broke. We weren't like a little bit broke. We were it. like project broke. Yeah. Right. Couldn't pay attention. That's a different right? type not of rent, broke. Not rent. Not food. Yeah. Like we couldn't pay attention. Yeah. Um, we had a great institution with a great history and a great infrastructure and all the bills that go along with that. Mm -hmm. Our debt service was 18% of our total revenue. Wow. Our debt service payments were 18% of our total revenue. Can you can you explain what that really means to, to, to folks? So we're a $50 million organization and we were paying $9 million a year just on the bills. Like the debt service payment, our loan payments for all of the debt the institution had. So before you ever get to payroll and insurance and other fixed costs, we automatically skim nine off the top. Just That's to an pay unsustainable our, business model. Um, yes, in a word, yes. Um, Dr. Smith was instrumental in assessing all of our assets very early on. We owned quite a bit of property, much to the credit of my predecessor. Mm -hmm. um, he believed that wealth was tied to property acquisition, mm -hmm. bought as much property as Benedict could afford or not to mm -hmm. buy. Um, we took a pretty good inventory of that and decided very quickly there were some non-contiguous properties that we could live without. Liquidate. Mm -hmm. So we did. We went about the process of liquidating some assets. We also took a look at our staffing model. So Benedict had about 450 employees. We looked at our sister institution, Claflin. They were sitting at 310. Mm, about the same size, student mm -hmm. body, and yet we had 110 more employees mm -hmm. than they had. Didn't make a lot of sense. We looked at a lot of our peers around the um, around the uh, region mm -hmm. and realized that we were pretty bloated by yeah. comparison and yeah. so we started a process of going department by department really right-sizing our model which didn't win me any awards for popularity but in necessary. the first year but necessary mm -hmm. um, so reduced our payroll um, which just to put in perspective our payroll was eight hundred sixty five thousand dollars every two weeks uh, it is now seven hundred thousand every two weeks and mm. so you know one point four uh, feels a lot better than 1.7 uh, to a struggling institution. And so went about that process um, and then pay, began to pay down debt as we liquidated assets. Mm -hmm. And so then we were left still. Um, we started um, mounting an aggressive congressional campaign. You know, the deferment was a conversation. Absolutely. Right? 
um, we were not in the first round of the deferment. So, you know, we did a lot of scrapping trying mm-hmm. to make sure that we got picked up. And, you know, thanks be to the God. Hallelujah. And, of course, our congressional delegation, we were able to get picked up in the second round. And that gave us a little bit of a timeout. So so you're talking about congressional delegations now. And now you, you've touched on a couple of things. Well, the, the unpopularity of making difficult decisions. Um, it's important also to note that if you are going to be a leader, difficult decisions will be made. You will be unpopular. Can you talk to folks about what it feels like to tell um, a person who may have been at right. Benedict for a dozen of years, a dozen years, or times you know, three. Five, yeah, times three, that um, your service is no longer congruent with the mission of the college. Right. What, is, know, what does that feel like personally? Um, it's incredibly painful. Um, I think there are two things worth noting here that are um, helpful to aspiring leaders and others who are current leaders and maybe haven't crossed this path yet. Um, a new president brings with them a new vision. Um, and so even though the people um, currently in place may do a good job, they are doing a good job at the vision laid out by the prior president. Mm-hmm. So for example, Benedict was not doing anything in the online space. If I had a provost or a vice president of academic affairs who had never experienced online learning, could that provost be a good provost for me? Not that they're not a great provost, yeah. they just don't have the particular it's skill set necessary to, to advance my particular agenda. Right. Fundraising was a perfect example. We had a stellar, a historically stellar fundraiser in place at Benedict who had served this institution loyally and who had been an alum, but I am a high energy, out front, engaged president. Um, and so the style of fundraising mm-hmm. is different when you're serving a president who tends to be on the scene, right? I, I am. I expect to be teed up for an ask, mm-hmm. not for you to go out and make that ask, no, no. right? And so that doesn't make those people not good anymore. It just makes them not a fit for my particular vision. Fit. So although I give our board credit for longevity of service mm-hmm. for my predecessor and others, I mean, there is something to be said about standing by your leadership, right? Um, But the people in place had not ever experienced a different leader. Mm. And so their habits, their work practices, um, everything they knew was attributable to my predecessor. And so when I come in talking about distributed education and online learning and a marketing plan and all sorts of other things, there was sort of a blank stare right Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean they're not great employees and so that's the conversation that you have to have the backbone to have Mm -hmm. i appreciate your years of service to this institution you have performed admirably Mm -hmm. however i have a different vision for the future and it does not appear that that particular skill set is yours and therefore if you need a uh, recommendation i'm Mm -hmm. happy to provide that but unfortunately the position that you currently occupy is no longer available to you ever been threatened um, (laughs) after a termination um yes actually um interestingly um the taillight on my vehicle (laughs) uh, was shot out and i left it that way Mm. right i have not gotten it fixed because it is a reminder to me that these decisions are personal Mm -hmm. And I think if you forget that these are people, 
If you forget that these are families who are depending on this institution for their livelihood, you lose the human aspect of what we yes. do. Um, I never take it lightly, mm-hmm. relieving someone. Um, it pains me. I worry about it. I stay up late at night about it because, you know, I have a family. I mean, we all have families and yeah. obligations. Yeah. Um, but my only allegiance at this point, short of my family and the Lord, is Benedict College. Yeah. Whatever's best for Benedict College. I was accosted at the uh, gas station. Um, <laughs> and, you know, um, when you're out, people know you. Yes. And yes. you don't know them. Right. And uh, so this particular person said, hey, you're the president of Wilberforce, right? So I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're the MF for that fire, fire my, my cousin. <laughs> right, 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 right. It changed completely. So I'm like, right. okay, now can I get to the glove box in case, um, you know, things go awry? And um, and and it it startles you and makes you think about you know these things which right. you you commiserate even with other peers you call right. folks hey man how did you handle right. furloughs or you know layoffs right. and how did, how did you do that so it's it's really painful but people don't understand when you make those decisions um, the gravity of those decisions are not lost on you right. Um, and, and it's, it's a, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. You know, I think it's, um, and it may be different for me as a woman, but not really. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I navigate around a community where everybody's related to everybody. It's a very small town. Um, seldom do you touch a person who is not related to another person and another person, another person. And so I've had to accept that as a reality. And you know, if we got to go, we got to (laughs) go. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I mean, and I say that with no small amount of levity in the sense that um, I believe in this college. Yeah. Right? I believe in these kids. And I am tasked with the responsibility to provide the best possible learning experience for 2,300 kids. Yeah. And your personal comfort, satisfaction, or approval of me is not necessarily Matters relevant. Not. Don't put your hands on me. Yeah. Now, for whatever reason, my truck has been uh, the keyed. It's scratched. <laughs> my truck has been keyed. Uh, my t- my my lights been shot out. I yeah. mean, I've had some challenges. For whatever reason, people seem to direct their irritation with me to my vehicle. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's okay. Yeah. Just you know, don't don't roll up on me. Yeah. And, and we're gonna we're get along good. just fine. Yes. Um, because I believe in what I do, yeah. right? I, I don't make those decisions lightly, and the same is true, you know, really with our students, right? When we yeah. say, listen, you gotta pay the bill. You gotta pay the um, bill. You know, when I sent out a memo saying, you know, reminder, you gotta clear your balance to graduate, I got death threats. Um, I did not realize that had not been the practice. Uh, remember, I had been at PWIs prior yeah. to Florida Moral, so I didn't realize that was a, an Even option. An issue. Yeah. Um, until I sent out a gentle reminder, mm-hmm. and at that point was reminded that uh, that had not been the norm. These yeah. are low wealth first gen kids and they viewed me as standing in the way of their dream. Yeah. Right. You also talked about um, your congressional delegation. Yes. And so here you have this, uh, once again, we're talking about the toolbox right. and understanding um, how important it is and how diverse um, a president has to be in terms of churning one of these multi-million dollar corporations right if you if you're going to do it correctly you as a president need not only understand 
uh, what goes on in fundraising or academic affairs, but the external facing uh, apparatus of the institution is is critically important as well. Talk talk to us about how you moved sure. the uh, folks uh, down in South Carolina to to help you win this this award, which we'll get to here in a second. So Benedict is um, a purple state in my mind, mm -hmm. right? We're red and we're blue. Yeah. We are a purple state. That's the only party I affiliate with. That's, That's right. the only color I know mm -hmm. is purple, Benedict purple. Um, we have an interesting delegation. Uh, we are home to now majority whip Jim Clyburn, big Jim Clyburn, who leads our congressional delegation, who has always been a friend to Benedict, a graduate of South Carolina State, but we love him just the same, uh, has been terribly instrumental in everything we do. We also, of course, have a Republican governor, Henry McMasters. Mm -hmm. um, we have a Republican Senate delegation, uh, Lindsey Graham, and of course, Tim Scott, mm -hmm. are our, our, our senators in Congress. And so it has, been, it has been useful to me to be able to work across party lines, to engage people in the work of Benedict College without regard to party or race or affiliation. Again, we know one color, yeah. Benedict Purple. Um, for my students, that is the only language I speak. Uh, we called everybody. Uh, we visit everybody mm -hmm. and we engage them in the work of this, this institution. Um, we are the heart of Columbia, South Carolina, which is the capital yeah. of South Carolina. And so, so goes Benedict College, so, so goes, goes Columbia. Absolutely. Uh, the mayor, yeah. Steve Benjamin, who is now president of the National Council of Mayors, mm. has given us a national audience in many respects. He is a dynamic and engaged leader. Uh, he is a member of our board of trustees and oh, has awesome. been incredibly invaluable mm. in helping us move the agenda. Again, Jim Clyburn and Tim Scott, Lindsey Graham have all uh, lent their support to the institution in Congress mm -hmm. um, and helped us to make sure that we got included uh, when the uh, deferments came to be yeah. handed out. And yeah. so I cannot thank them enough um, for their support of our institution. It's, it's wonderful to <clears throat> just hear you talk about how, um, how many cogs in the wheel um, that are actually in the wheel and right. how um, they're responsible for making sure that there's balanced rotation. Right. Um, you just got a mammoth of, uh, of an award. Um, yeah. And I like the fact that you started this conversation about Benedict um, in talking about your staff. Um, that, that, that speaks volumes about, about your leadership. Um, but we also know that um, there's a visionary and then there are missionaries. And right. if the visionary also has the missionary attributes, then you, 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 you're in really good, good space. How did we get from where you were in a year, year and a half, was it a year and a half, two? 18 months. 18 months. 18 months. How do we get from there to winning this big ass award <laughs> that 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 you just got um, that you just earned rather? Um, I appreciate that qualification. Let's talk about yeah yeah. I mean it's very important to make that 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 distinction. First, tell us what the award was, and then t let's talk about how you got there. Sure, it's the American Council on Education uh, ACE Fidelity Investments. Award for Institutional Transformation, which really speaks to what we have done, I believe, at Benedict College. Uh, there are two awards given annually by the American Council on Education, uh, one for institutions of 5,000 or greater in terms mm. of their student population, and one for up to 5,000. So University of South Florida won 
with their 64,000 students. And then, of course, Benedict College won for the up to 5,000 student category. And that was just amazing for us. Has there ever been um, an HBCU to win the award? One HBCU won it, uh, Fayetteville State, mm. uh, never a private HBCU. Okay. So typically, we are not lauded for transformation. No. Right? We have the turn radius of a space shuttle or the Titanic. Absolutely. Right? Depending on what you have to be driving at that time. More like the space shuttle. Yes. Uh, well, actually, the Titanic, <laughs> rather. Um. Um, and it was an amazing thing for us. Um, you know, I think that uh, the award recognizes institutions that have addressed the challenges of higher education in a particularly innovative or creative way and achieved results in a short period of time. Brief, brief. Just sort of defines us, right? Yeah. In a short period of time has embraced challenges and addressed them in an innovative and creative way. So I just felt like it was tailor-made for us. Um, we, of course, um, took our financial situation from um, bad to stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have some ways to go, so if any of your listeners want to send a check, that would be great. Um, but we were... <laughs> we were um, we were in trouble. I mean, mm-hmm. the bottom line is our um, CFI score, Composite Financial Index, was quite low. On a scale of, of negative one to three, we were at a 0.7, uh, which is critical uh, for the Department of Higher Education. We were able to more than double that score. We just finished at a 1.6 at the end of our first year audit, so that was very significant for us, and that was a function of you know, paying down our debt, restructuring, we floated a bond, we reduced our debt service by about $3 million in the first year, plus the deferment is a total of $6 million less than we were paying prior year. That's an awful lot of money, uh, liquid capital to free up in an institution. What did uh, what did scholarships or tuition reduction or discounting, what, what role did, did that play? So one of our biggest announcements during the year is that we were going to cut our tuition. I would dare say we were in a very small percentage of institutions who took their tuition the opposite direction, right? We went down instead of up. We cut it about 24.5%, almost 25%. Um, for our students and we did that because the reality is our students couldn't pay we knew they couldn't pay there Mm -hmm. was no point ruining their credit there was no point forcing them to borrow money they can't afford to repay and there was no point in our um, skewing our financials right our bad debt write-off our bad debt reserves were inordinately large for an institution of our size Mm -hmm. and so it helped us help them um, and really be able to recast our financials in a very realistic way. The truth is most of our HBCUs are tuition-driven institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, fundraising is really a small part of what we do. Mm-hmm. It needs to be bigger, right. but it's really a small part of what right. we do. And so, But the reality is, is that tuition is king. Exactly. Yeah. And you build your budget based on build charges Absolutely. rather than collected, collected charges. charges. And so when your kids can't pay, there's a big gap there. Uh, and we were seeing that at Benedict, so, so we modified the tuition. So model. you did a performer that looked at what what the tuition was, mm-hmm. what what a student was actually able to pay, right? And and the delta between tuition uh, right. as it was and what they were able to pay, right? And that and that guided you to 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 change. Um, it did. We we took a look at all of our competitor institutions. So we looked at all the HBCUs in South Carolina. We looked at the large flagship university down the street, USC. And we said, gee, we cost more than all of those institutions. And that doesn't make a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. given the fact that we educate a majority. So 74% of my kids are first-generation kids. 84% of my kids are Pell-eligible kids. So we're talking about low-wealth, first-gen kids of color. First, do no harm, right? I'm not a medical doctor. I am an education doctor. The reality is hurting black kids is not why I got into this business. Mm -hmm. And so hurting them by forcing them to take out significant loans that would be difficult to repay for anybody, 
um, much less a teacher, preacher, or social worker, mm -hmm. um, and bending their families over with Parent PLUS loans and other things that were really causing a crisis in our community. When we think about um, the transfer of wealth, our kids, black starts out red, white starts out green. Yeah. Right. White kids don't come out of college with this kind of debt. They're able to put a down payment on a house. Yeah. They're able to earn equity. My kids are going to be paying student loans for the foreseeable future and therefore not able to afford a home for their families. Yeah. Um, that is not our goal as an HBCU. We don't hurt black kids. And yeah. so we adjusted our tuition downward and actually realized more net income as a result of that adjustment than we did prior year at a higher tuition rate. Because what we said is we're going to cut our tuition by almost $6,000 but you gotta pay it, Absolutely. right? We took a look at the sources of funding for our kids, right? Mm -hmm. South Carolina Tuition Grant Program, the Pell, um, you know, loans, et cetera, and yeah. said, okay, what can a kid afford? Mm -hmm. A kid with a zero EFC, what can they afford? And uh, we told our students they had to clear at 90%, right? We're gonna take this down to 22,000 from 28-ish, um, but you've gotta make a dent in that. And so that gave me the financial flexibility to say that every kid on that campus equals X number of revenue dollars to the institution. So it gave me predictability mm -hmm. and our finance model allowed us to right size the institution and live within our means and helped our students at the same time. So it was kind of a win, win, win all the way around. Transformational. It was, and Can we didn't stop there. No, we no, didn't no, stop no, there. no, 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 you can't. I mean, if you wanna rest on your laurels, um, your accomplishments as you know as an HBCU president particularly um, you'll be looking for a job that is true um, you know we looked at so many areas right we looked at our financial model and our debt load and we adjusted that we looked at our students ability to pay and our tuition model and we adjusted that uh, we took a look at our academic programs we chose to close seven programs seven unproductive programs uh, that was Herculean um, Benedict is a Baptist affiliated institution. We made the decision that religion and philosophy was a major that we were going to close. That is no small thing mm. at a Baptist institution. But data is your friend, right? We looked at all of the outcome measures. We had produced three uh, religion and philosophy majors in 10 years. Three in 10 years. Our faith is not built on majors. It Our is faith not. is built on experiences on the campus that strengthen students' faith and their belief, and we work from that standpoint. So what do you learn to conduct an environmental scan? What do you, what do you learn that? Um, so, you know, I think um, some of that is innate, right? Yeah. Data matters. When yeah. you're making unpopular decisions, yeah. the numbers better stand they up. They matter. The numbers better stand up. And so when we talk to a campus about unproductive majors, we had to have the data that showed how many kids came in, how many kids persisted, how many kids graduated, and more importantly, how many kids went to work. Yeah. Black kids don't come to college for education's sake. They come to college to get a skill set so they can get a job and take care of their families That's and their right. communities. And so when you're realistic about that, productivity matters. Mm -hmm. And so we did a pretty holistic analysis of all of our majors. We scored them 0 to 100. Anything that scored less than 70 um, was going to leave. Um, Benedict College, which is not the most popular decision. I'm getting a reputation here for that, but um, <laughs> we decided that it's year one and the institution has some critical decisions to make. And so we, again, looked at that tuition model, looked at our finance, looked at our staffing, looked at our programs and decided we're going to hit it with everything we've got. And we did that. So the transformation has occurred. Um, I, I I really want to talk about the enormity of that award. We're, we're talking two categories, mm -hmm. 
up to 5,000 and over 5,000. How does that process happen? Like, did someone notice you or did you, is your team phenomenal enough to have an understanding that, that hey, there's actually a ward out there for <laughs> transformation? Like, I, I, obviously you were vetted um, and there are other schools right. um, that went through that process. How did that happen? So there's a nomination process and we're not sure kind of how that piece worked, mm. um, but we were sent a questionnaire we were allowed to respond to um, questions about the transformational um, decisions that were made, the results of those decisions, et cetera. And so you can imagine, we talked about our um, financial transformation, we talked about the tuition reset and the fact that that had been successful. We also talked about reevaluating our standards. So Florida Memorial, excuse me, Ooh. it's been a minute. Okay. Uh, Florida Memorial and uh, Benedict, to some extent, have been open enrollment institutions, mm -hmm. right? Benedict Moore um, appropriately have been an open enrollment institution. And when you look at data, you see that students who come in, for example, below a 2.0 are about seven times more likely not to make it out of their first year. While we want to provide an opportunity to students, we have to be careful that we harm them in the process, mm. right? So if that student is not prepared adequately to come into the institution, we've either got to do something about that mm -hmm. or not let them into the institution. So we created admission standards. We increased our admission standards at Benedict, um, which was met with some mixed reactions Absolutely. by people. Mm -hmm. um, but what we did was, which I think is also reasonably transformational, we created a bridge process for students who did not achieve the requisite GPA. Those students came to campus six weeks in advance of the fall semester, and they were required to take two college-level courses. We're testing for two things. One, the ability to do college-level work, right? You may not have put your best foot forward in high school, mm -hmm. but you're bright and you can learn. Um, and we're also testing for emotional intelligence, right? The willingness to give up six weeks of your summer because you want this. You want to be a Benedict Tiger. If you say, well, I'm not going to summer school, then you don't want it. Absolutely. Right? I can mm -hmm. take students all day long, GPA notwithstanding, if you want it. Mm -hmm. I can't want it for you. Right. Right? you got to be able to do the work and so or be willing to do the work. And so that bridge program, we took in 48 students, 46 completed successfully. And interestingly, they've had a 98% retention rate from fall to spring. And three of them ran for and were elected to class office. So you, you find the advantage of simulation uh, or familiarity. Right. They're on the campus. They right. cohort. Right. Um, they find their sea legs. There's a posse. There's a posse. They take care of each other. Yeah. They communicate. They're really a community within a community. Mm -hmm. um, we do lots of special activities with them. You know, um, my colleague and I, who leads our freshman experience, um, on one Sunday just got in a house and cooked, right? Mm. Everybody, you know, we brought all the groceries and we just cooked a Sunday dinner together. Mm. We played spades and mm. we cooked dinner and we just engaged each other. I think I saw that on Instagram. And my kids still say, when are we gonna cook again, Dr. Right. Artis? Right, um, I'm still standing on the fact that I have the best macaroni and cheese in South Carolina. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I put it to the test and nobody challenged me. Mm. So, um, you know, those kinds of experiences outside the classroom mm -hmm. build camaraderie and collegiality and allow these students to have a sense of self and place and purpose at the yeah. institution. So we talked a bit about that in our application and um, we're just really proud of that, right? So to financially turn it around, to academically restructure it, to change our admissions process, to adjust our tuition model yeah. and still come out with successful outcomes at the end of the year really got the attention of ACE and so we stood there as one of two institutions nationwide um, to receive that honor, and I, I cannot tell you um, 
I'm never at a loss for words, mm-hmm. um, but I was absolutely humbled and honored and grateful. Um, sometimes external recognition of the work that you do mm-hmm. matters. It does. Um, and so it was a message, it was a signal to all those who maybe weren't quite sure about the new president mm-hmm. that we're doing the right things for mm-hmm. the right reason in the right way and we're moving this college forward in a very positive way. And so um, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. I Congratulations, Thank sister. You. I, and it I, came with $10,000. Did so ten thousand dollar prize money, where, which was really nice. What did that ten thousand dollars go? So it, it's, it's such an interesting. Is, is it a check made to you, or is it unfortunately a check? it's made to Benedict? Actually, oh, okay. fortunately, excuse okay. me, yeah, it's, it's no. made to Benedict. The president does not get to get the money. My children ask that same question: Do you get to keep it? No, mommy doesn't get to keep the check. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's so interesting in terms of perspective. So my colleagues at. Um, you know, um, USF. Yes, mm-hmm. at University of South Florida. I, I died when you told we me. We were this. chatting, and you know, someone said, "What are you going to do with the money?" And she said, "We're going to take our sponsors and our trustees to dinner." And I thought, you know, ten thousand dollars to Benedict is just a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand dollars to them was dinner, right? Dinner. Um, and so it really puts in perspective. It does. Um, size and scale, and so it made me all the more proud. Right. I mean, they had developed a predictive analytic model and, you know, they were trying to close the gap between students of color and majority students. But it was very Georgia State, well-funded, mm-hmm. you know, predictive analytic model. And, mm-hmm. there, and, and believe me, I, no shade, right, to, yeah. to Georgia State. But I will tell you that they spent $74 million on that system, yeah. right? My total budget is $50 million. And so as you think about black kids, mm-hmm. right, you think about kids of color coming into these institutions and our ability to really change the game for them. Yeah, I am more proud of the work that we did at mm-hmm. our little, small, broke black school Absolutely. than I am perhaps at an institution that just had the wherewithal and the financial acumen to be able to do it, you know? You know, your your successor, Tony Pinkard, I saw something on uh, Twitter where he said, you know, the only difference between us and them is money, right? We, we know what to do. We know how to educate our kids. We mm-hmm. just don't have the same money yeah. that they have. Yeah. And I think if we are creative and strategic, um, we can get there. We can get there. I like the, the pride that we have, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, the amazing histories uh, that come with these institutions. Um, it is uh, compelling um, and reminds you of what it was like to think about others, to think about selfless. Right. And that is something that, that resonates with me. I, you know, my first stance in, in higher education was at a PWI. Mm-hmm. And there was, it was just... Transactional. It was transactional. It was tra- It was eight to five. Even though I started a mock trial team, <laughs> I found a way to find community. I right. found a way to be um, of service. Right. But all I have to do today Go out on the porch. is walk out on my front porch. I'm going to have a conversation with a student about how to wear a tie, right. what a CD is, how do I get to be like you? Mm-hmm. Um, where should I go to graduate school? Right. Things that matter. Feed the spirit. Feed the spirit. Not not only for them, but for us. 
but for me too. This is the greatest job in the world. I, I, I would I, agree. I tell people, I complain about it just to keep you for, com- for coming after it. That's right. Um, but it's really awesome, <laughs> right? I mean, so for those aspiring presidents, you want this. You want like, this. this is awesome. You do. Um, you know, you're not going to get wealthy. Um, that and, can't be and the we want star. you to have it too. Right. We want we you do. to have I this experience. I mean, I think experience. that's the difference um, that we're seeing, right? Yeah. Is a genuine concern and care for the folks that come behind us. Um, Again, I need you to win, right? I need you to win. Yeah. Black people need you to win. HBCUs are the last bastion for the race, in my opinion. It is. Our churches have broken down, our families have broken down, our communities have broken down, and we can argue those principles later. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the only place in America where black people gather in large numbers toward a common purpose, the mm-hmm. advancement of people of color, is on the campuses of HBCUs. The yeah. race needs HBCUs to Absolutely. win. Absolutely. Great segue from the extraordinary job that you're doing at BC. And we are gonna spend a little time just having a, a little light uh, chop conversation um, about even about our desire um, for those behind us to have um, open, open access. Mm-hmm. Um, disheartening, uh, but not surprising um this revelation about the the schemes uh to get into to schools when I, when i heard that free it, the mamas in georgia it made me even more proud to be at a black college right and it did so because um this is not about the false narrative that um Degrees don't matter. Education doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They matter so much that you're willing to manipulate the system when you already have a leg up. You're, you know, (laughs) this leg up conversation. I, I really, I, I know you're going a different direction, but I just have to say this. No, no. Um, You know, we as black people in America, um, there is a lot of white fear about this growing. Browning of America and all yes. those kinds of things, and this idea that they're coming, mm-hmm. right? They're coming, and yes, we are. They are. Um, but the reality is, you know, while those would, many people would argue for reparations. I'm a realist. I don't lay awake at night waiting on my check, my no. 40 acres and a mule. That's no. probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. All I want is for you to admit that you had a head start. Yeah. If you just publicly acknowledge white privilege, if you would just own it Mm -hmm. and say, you know what, my grandfather owned your grandfather, and as a result of that, I have intergenerational wealth that has been bestowed on me through no no act of my own. None. I had a head start. That's it. Yeah. If you just admit it, I'm over it. I think move on. I think that (laughs) would open. I think that would open the door for equity. That's all I want. Not equality. It's an admission. Yeah, yeah. That you had a head start. I think it will open the door for equity because there's uh, there would be a revelation now that yes, there there we were on operate we were operating on different planes and it's not right. So let me make it right as right. much as possible so i don't i don't tend to shamelessly plug books but i want to do it in this instance there is a book called um the decolonization of wealth mm-hmm. that is an absolutely an absolutely compelling must read for every person in this country yeah. that really talks about colonialism and this idea that 
when when we think about um, you know colonization generally that occurred all over the world right somebody comes in conquers somebody rapes pillages and then leaves in America the same thing happened except they stayed <laughs> right the colonizers stayed mm -hmm. they came they raped they pillaged they took they owned and then forced us to either be like them or die right Native Americans had to assimilate or die black people had to assimilate or die and as a result of that we seem to have lost that which is ours uh, our polar star our culture our history and it's it has been the long climb back for black people in this country and mm -hmm. I think HBCUs are the only places where we have honest family conversations about that right that it's okay to be who we are um, that you took something that belonged to me, and I'm not mad. Listen, I'm not mad. Right. Well, a little low-key mad. A little bit. But a little bit, kind of. <laughs> but, I mean, this idea that we are going to reciprocate, yeah. right, colonization, yeah, yeah. Uh, that we are somehow going to take something from you um, speaks to the just irrational fear of the majority. Yeah. And it, 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 I think it's born out of a guilty conscience, right? You know you have something that belongs to me. Um, Harvard was built, you know, 13 years after slavery because somebody had to build the buildings, right? Somebody had to build those buildings. So you had to wait for us to get here to build the buildings. Absolutely. And you act like you're doing me a favor by giving 2% of our population a scholarship to Harvard. Um, and, and that's not, you know, as they say, shade on Harvard, whatever, you know, you claimed your place in the Ivy League and that's fine, but do not believe for one second that you are superior to Benedict College. You should not. Right. That is the piece that I take issue with. This idea, this notion that the Ivies are somehow better than the nation's HBCUs. And the reality is, you know, Al Sharpton says it best. If I'm going into battle, I'm going to take a black person because they've been through something to get there. And I know mm -hmm. they know how to get back out. Yeah. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, is you should be better. You should be better. You had, you know, at least a hundred some cases 200 years head of a head start right and so um, if you admit that if you admit that we're good there's right? one of my favorite is this book called um i think it was by robert shapiro um um what america owes no how i think that's right what america owes what america people. owes uh, black folks how wealth perpetuates inequality mm -hmm. and this book was transformational because it took it took a black couple and a white couple, true stories in the book. And they were both Big Ten educated MBAs mm -hmm. and both of their wives were education majors. So they were both teachers right. and the guys were marketing guys. True story, black couple, white couple, happened to be great friends. They both moved to St. Louis. Well, the black couple gets married, they finance their wedding, they leave school with debt, mm -hmm. they go um, find a nice apartment complex, they start a family, and they have to pay for public school or mm -hmm. private school private education. School. The white couple, same amount of money, they leave, move into a suburb, parents pay for the wedding, pay for college, no and loans. put a down payment on a home in a nice uh, neighborhood with good public education. Black starts red, white start green. All day long. The inequality that wealth perpetuates is staggering. Mm -hmm. And it is, 
why it's so critically important for us to have conversations with our young brothers and sisters mm-hmm. about okay your 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 ceiling for financial aid is 6000 but you just take 2000 just right. take what you need right and while you're doing that hit the books so you can get some scholarships and you can decrease that debt right. and oh by the way don't take out the credit cards with a high interest rate, et cetera, et cetera. The language of money, right? So you asked me a question earlier, you know, how do you know about, um, you know, environmental spanning, mm-hmm. right? How do you know about boundary spending and boundary spending and decision making? I get asked a lot, um, how do you understand the language of money? Yeah. Because the reality is presidents come from the ranks of provosts, presidents come from the ranks of fundraisers, presidents now are coming from the ranks of student affairs given the primacy of enrollment management. We seldom see CFOs become presidents. Presidents have to understand money. There's so little of it that it's incumbent upon us to fully understand all of the vehicles that are available to us. Right. If I had not engaged a financial consulting firm, on a black financial consulting firm out of Jackson, Mississippi, Coma Capital Partners, that helped us. We went to the private equity market. We found a funder. They floated a, tw- floated a $26.7 million bond. We could never have gotten that from a bank. Yes. Right? We had to access the private equities market. We would not have known how to do, do that, that. Right? Unless yeah. you know where to find help, what, unless you know where to find resources. And that's the disadvantage. Yeah. Listen, Benedict is not any worse off than any small private white institution. But you they had just, information. They had information, yeah. right. And so we were blessed mm-hmm. to have some folks um, of color in particular that stepped up and said, I'm going to help this HBCU figure this out. You know, I'm so grateful for my mentor, Dr. Jimmy Jenkins, who was um, my um, the president of my alma mater and who gave me an opportunity to be um, a senior administrator. Uh, with just three years in higher education and and set a trajectory mm-hmm. like none other um, meteoric rise as well but he had a guy by the name of Roger McLean that was a financial guru right um, he passed away several years ago and I think about him daily but he would tell me um, yeah, you can go out and raise that money, but if you don't know what to do with it, if you right. don't understand how to count these beans, if you don't understand how to manage your fiscal resources, if you don't understand how to manage debt, if you don't know how to acquire debt, mm-hmm. um, if you don't know all, all these things, you'll, you'll be a marginal president. You'll be a president. You'll probably get there, but you'll be marginal. Of a struggling institution. Of a struggling institution. A distressed asset, which is what he would call it all the time. So it's interesting. Um, We don't often have, and that is not a shot at HBCUs, but the reality is the best and brightest among us go into business and private equity firms, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They don't come be a CFO Mm at an Mm under-resourced HBCU. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so what we have are really good accountants. right? Right. They manage in in obscurity. They manage in dearth right they figure out how best to use the limited resources we have what we don't have are strategic thinkers so our endowment at benedict was you know 20 plus million dollars which for a small hbcu is not terrible it's decent Mm -hmm. um but it was sitting in a cd earning two percent makes now now that is undecent Indecent, right? I mean, Und- so undecent. Undecent. I know it's and not so a word. I asked it in my interview. I mean, right. I literally asked the question in my interview with the bank sitting at the table, right? Why is our money invested in a CD when our spend is three percent? We're underwater by two, right? Mm. And the response to that was, well, it's collateralized. Irrelevant. 
Right. You have not. a fund management arm that could have been investing that money. And the truth is you were investing our money. Right. Yeah. You had us at a CD at 2%. Yeah. So someone else was making treatment. some money. Right. We got the Negro mm-hmm. treatment. And you here you come. were investing my money at 2%. And you were making probably 13 Yeah. 15% off that money. So when we restructured that bond, freed it up, moved our money in the market, and now we're generating revenue off our own money. Yeah. Right? So, but did you lose a relationship? Um, because so, you asked a couple of questions. Um, so ultimately, the bank, of course, lost that business, which mm-hmm. was significant because mm-hmm. in addition to being invested in a CD, we, are, we were in an interest-only loan. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying $50,000 a month um, and not chopping down principal. Right. So think about what you're making off me in a mm. year, um, the epitome of the Negro treatment. Right. And mm. so I think that it is incumbent upon us, particularly when we have limited resources, to educate ourselves about the language of money, understanding that the appropriate return on our investment, um, my money is green, too. Right. Even in the South, my yeah. money is green and I will not do business with people who do not do business with me. Right. If you are not philanthropic toward Benedict College, you need not apply to do business with Benedict College. And so. I think I've sent that message pretty clearly yeah. across Carolina now. Uh, again, not a terribly popular position because people had just been lulled into the we've been partners for years. Mm-hmm. Well, what does partner mean for you? It's a different meaning for me. It's reciprocal for me. That's right. Right. That's right. I help people who do who help, who me. help me. And so um, I think we are beginning to train our community that Benedict makes a significant economic impact. Uh, that Benedict means business, Mm -hmm. that Benedict is a going concern in this community. We do business in this community. We expect to be treated with a modicum of respect in this community. Just a modicum. Just a modicum, right? You know, implicit in what you just said, really the summation is that you now, you understand your value um, and uh, you're not going to be afraid to command what is owed to you. Right. Um, This, for me, as a young um, administrator, has been affirming in so many different ways because um, I, 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 um, I, let's just say it resonates with me. (laughs) I'll just say that. It it resonates in so many different ways. So um, this has been an amazing uh, time with us and we're so grateful that you came, um, but we're gonna go out with with some fun, a little bit of fun. That's right. Um, are you Greek? I am. Um, uh, a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, as all women of substance are. Ouch. Um, not that we don't love our sisters. Yes. We love all of our sisters, particularly those who are writing million dollar checks. Yes. Shout out to the AKAs. Shout, Shout out, out to, to the AKAs. AKAs. Listen, I am now excited when I see pink and green. <laughs> you should be. Because uh, the green is green, right? They are doing um, it. And I, I, I just have to say, you know, I challenge my sorrows um, and Zeta Phi Beta and Sigma Gamma Rho and everybody else to follow suit. Right? You know, you know what's, what, what is really cool about that is in a lot of ways that what they did is a microcosm of what really leads the black community, right. women. We are your institutions, mm-hmm. right? Whether you went to an HBC or not, we are the last bastion for oh, the race. You it. own the HBCUs, we are your space. And so, you know, what the AKs have done has really thrown down the gauntlet, in yeah. my opinion. 
uh, for the Divine Nine and for the 100 and for the Boule and for the Lynx and for Jack and Jill and for anybody else who professes to be a black person in this country. Mm -hmm. If you do not put your money behind our nation's HBCUs, I'm pulling your card. Yeah. I'm pulling your card. The, the, the instrument that is responsible for the black middle class. Um, unquestionably, the entire civil rights movement was built on the back of, of the HBCUs. You know, we spend a lot of time um, looking at the history of these institutions. Uh, Septima Clark is an alum of Benedict College, mm -hmm. and she is known and has been quoted by Martin Luther King and others as being the mother of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And so we're so proud to call her an alumnus of Benedict College. And every HBCU in this country has a fingerprint or a footprint on the civil rights movement, but for HBCUs. Right. The black middle class would not have the wealth they flaunt mm -hmm. in suburban neighborhoods, mm -hmm. sending their children to private white schools. Yes. Um, and we, we don't judge, like what's best for your children is what's best for your children, right? I don't judge other people, but I would urge you to think about investing in an HBCU. Um, Favorite sport? Uh, basketball. Uh, football was up there too. It's a pretty close second, but did basketball you play? would have to be number one. I did. I played basketball. Um, love watching our teams. It's interesting as a female president, uh, the assumption is that I do not understand sports, <laughs> which is a, a poor assumption on the part of most people. Uh, I think Florida Morrill had to learn that, and Benedict is now adapting to that reality. Mm. Uh, I'm a bit of a sideline coach. Yes. Um, my football team knows that. Our football team is really quite stellar. Our defense is ranked nationally. Our offense folded like a cheap suit last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had three quarterbacks go out. Wait a minute. What, what, what type of t is, is, is that a Stacey Adams cheap suit? <laughs> I, like what, what type of uh, cheap suit? Folded like a cheap Yikes. suit. Um, I had, you know, when you go through three quarterbacks, yeah. there's no protection out there. Yeah. Right. I need my offensive uh, my offensive lineman to step up. And so I've conveyed that message very clearly to our head coach. I expect Yikes. to see an offensive line. You know, our basketball team is interesting. When I was in Florida, um, we were 18 and three, which is unheard of. I said, can I at least get the benefit of being at HBCU, right? I mean, we black male athletic superiority and that's some kind of stereotype. Can I at least have the benefits of the positive stereotypes, right? So I said to the coach, you know, how did we lose out there? He says, oh, doc, you know, they out hustled us. And I said, you know, that's funny because where I was sitting in the stand, it looked like our low post had the hands of Teflon and that we couldn't set a screen and that nobody did, a, no, I mean, nobody understood full court press. And, you know, he looked at me kind of funny. And I said, I could beat you coach. Like, please don't girl me. Yikes. Please don't girl me. So uh, we were at a rebuilding year. Shout out to George French at Miles, who uh, came from a coach, uh, took my head coach out of Benedict, my winning coach, uh, and three of my star players, and used them to beat us in the SEAC no championship. Way. Congratulations to Miles College for winning the SEAC this year with my team mm. and my coach. So you should be uh, getting a ring. We coming back. <laughs> we uh, coming let, me back. Just, let me just be real clear. We're coming back next year. Um, we're rebuilding as we speak. And so um, we will look forward to meeting Miles on the court. Favorite time of the academic year. Favorite, favorite Commencement. time. Commencement. Commencement. All day, every day. Um, it is my absolute favorite day of the year. It is the fruition of all that we do. 365 days of the year to see these babies achieve their goals is the sweetest moment of my life. Best part about homecoming. Um, you know, I, barbecue is a thing in Florida, <laughs> and it's a thing, and it's a bigger thing in uh, South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yes, it is. A big thing mm -hmm. in South Carolina. So in Florida, they haven't evolved fully. They still use red sauce in uh, South Carolina. We're into <laughs> mustard sauces and vinegar base, and I have adapted quite nicely. Uh, I picked up my freshman 10 my first semester at uh, Benedict College, so tailgating is my absolute most favorite time of the year. Last question. What is your hope 
or the space? Um, that we never lose another HBCU, right? Mm. I mean, we've seen too many of our HBCUs, quote unquote, go the way of the Buffalo, far more than we have properly documented. Um, I, I learned a year ago, much to my dismay, that the ground that Peabody College at Vanderbilt is built on was once an HBCU. Hmm. Uh, I was walking around the campus with my children and I saw kind of a cornerstone in the ground and read it and went and did a little research and uh, an HBCU once stood on the campus of Vanderbilt University, one that is seldom acknowledged. Um, that institution, um, mysterious fire in the early 1900s. Uh, the Bucket Brigade tried to save it, but couldn't because the uh, fire department couldn't come past the county line, the city yeah. line, and yeah. so that institution burned. They rebuilt. They refused to sell to George Peabody, who wanted that land for expansion of Vanderbilt University. It burned again, hmm. uh, and finally the church conceded and moved to Memphis and are now Lemoyne Owen. But that institution was once located History. on the grounds that History. were uh, Peabody College. We have two HBCUs that are no more in the state of South Carolina. Um, it is my desire that we never see another HBCU leave our family. And moreover, that some scholar somewhere, some young person who has more time and energy than I do, um, document the history of our HBCUs. All that have been lost, gone but not forgotten, HBCUs um, in this country. There are far more than we can count today at 103. My sister, my friend, my colleague, it has been just a remarkable uh, visit with you today. Thank um, you. Really appreciate pleasure. it. And I have to say also, um, the Higher Education Leadership Foundation really appreciates your support. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you've been you. with us from day one um, and always finds a way, find a way um, to come and pour into the next generation. Unless my flight is canceled. Unless I'll be your there. flight is canceled. <laughs> that, you've actually had some pretty good luck with us. I think you only have one. Only miss one. one. Only yeah, miss yeah. one. And you tried. Yeah. You uh, tried. Mightily, actually. You <laughs> um, congratulations to you. Thank Listen, you. your inauguration as the 17th president of Wiley is a highlight in the history books for all of us. Uh, we are counting on great things for you. You've already begun that work, and I'm so happy to be a small part of your celebration. Thank you, my sister. I'm happy to have you. This has been another episode of Four Thoughts of Our Founders. Thank you. Thank you.